Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. And today with me we got a full crew of fellas. Uh, we got Nick. Hello. Chris. Hey. Brennan. Hey everyone. And we even have Mike. What's good? Fully loaded. I love it. Uh, and today our book is we're going to go over something unique. Uh, it's Can It Conspiracies for Dark Age 20. It's an anthology. Typically, we don't go over novels. And we skip the short stories because highly opinionated, almost too much. Uh, you know, one man's treasures, another man's trash as it goes. And if you don't like an author, prefer something else, a lot of that can go iffy. This is made by a lot of the same people who made the uh, actual base book we love so much. And when we started reading this, uh, I, my impression, and I hope you guys got the same thing, these stories were pound for pound. They're, they're good. They're really good. And uh, fit right along with a lot of the canon. It's almost universal that that goes with it. And there's a reason for that. I mean, if you were the guys who made the main book, it stands to reason you have all the ability to write within the genre of which you were you know, hired for in the first place. And I think they do a good job. As a whole, the anthology book is done super easy. Right? You open the book, look at the title, go read your story. That's it. No mystery. <laughs> yep. I want to tell you there's more to it than that, but there's not. So what we're doing here is that we're kind of going to go over the stories and give you our, uh, our quick review of what we thought of each story. And I'm going to kick it off by not going in order, because I'm like that. Um, and it's because I can't wait to talk about it. Uh. Author Alan Alexander wrote an amazing story called The Ghost of Corazon, which of course deals with the Asamite clan, or the children of Hakim, or the Banu Hakim if you prefer. Um, I, of course, prefer Children of Hakim. Seems fun. More cultish. It's my bag. And I, I kind of feel the author agrees with that. He writes about a, a woman named Ankara who was at the Battle of Corazon with her sire, Azim the Thrice Blessed. Now, what's interesting about this short story is if you know the person, Azim or Ball in the future, he's kind of already written about before DA20 comes about. That's what's unique. However, I love how the author took his history and didn't throw it out the window. Or act like it didn't exist. In fact, mm -hmm. he, did it in, he did it in a way that was imaginative. And almost defiant of the stereotype that you expect from the children of Hakim. In a way that made the story compelling. One of the ways I like about it is when he takes Ankara. And he paints out the fact that Ankara does not ascribe to the... Doesn't see religions as anything more than, I won't say laughable. But as philosophies. They're mortal philosophies that help them get by in a time that they live in. And it's different for everyone, but she's she predates them. She's watched the crutches, as she almost refers them to. And uh, I actually captured a quote from the book that sums it all up, really. It says, Ankara cared nothing for the superstitions of the Christian knights, no more than she cared for the fables of the prophet of Islam, which had captured the imagination of so many of the younger children of Hakim. When Ankara lived, she worshipped the gods of Sumer, but she had set those myths aside long ago. In these nights... Hakim alone was worthy of her veneration. She's also one of the ones that remembered speaking with Hakim in the city with him, saw the founder, knew of him. And you can tell, and wisely done, Alan, uh, that he would have, maybe he could have written what that interaction was like, but he left it out. And by doing so, you could feel the bond that she must have in reverence towards Hakim without having to go into who he was because she knew who she was. And his importance to her was all that mattered. To further get into the story, when they talk about Corazon, you see a other side of the Bali. I think everybody to this point 
has used Bali as the laughable mustache twirling villain of Flame or the baby crusading, killing, whatever nonsense you come up with. Highly satanic, highly all that. And, and really not <laughs> understanding that sometimes less is more. Or that the overt nature is done slow play. And when you read about this story, about her being in Corazon, and what she encountered, it hammers home what the Second Ed Revised Clan book tells a bit about. That opens up to the fact that the children of Kim are so much more than we ever knew. In this story, you're going to find some cool Easter eggs piecing all that together. You're going to find a nice update, a smooth update, detailing a, a character that White Wolf made that's over 5,000 years old. And what that mentality might be like. It does service to two clans, three really, uh, the Salubri children of Akim and the Bali. And that is more than its weight in gold. I could gush on this all day. Uh, but for me, this was my, one of my favorite stories out of the book. It's dead tied with, uh, with another one, though. But I would say for uniqueness, for quality and depth, for the fact that the children of Hakim are not just Arab assassins or, you know, Muslim extremists who are, you know, happen to be vampires, they're way more and more in depth. And they touch on Persian, go back to Sumer, and uh, visions of Akkad, and, and what that might have been. <laughs> Alexander dug deep. It's that simple. And when you go that deep, hold the depth, tie everything together without throwing things out, leave things out for mystery, and allow the imagination to paint the picture from what you know and me as being a vet. It was a joy uh, to read that. It read smooth. I was mad, and my only critique on it, the whole damn book wasn't about that. I, I wanted 155 pages of this story, is what I wanted. I wanted so much more, but it was good. What'd you guys think? I think the best part about it, without question, is, uh, is the very end. Um, the the sacrifice that you you totally can't be an asshole and talk about the end. <laughs> what? Yeah. No spoilers. All right, Spoiler. Nick's done. Who else? Who else? Man. Uh, no, I there there was a a I, I won't say anything specific, but there was a section towards the beginning where uh, there, uh, the way the story is set up, it cuts in between the the present for the setting of the novel, right, and then the battle of Corzin, right, and it calls out several things that I thought was just awesome i'm a huge like a uh, horror fan and uh, unabashedly also like body horror and the description of the things they encountered once they just got into the first tunnel of corzin was just like oh my god this is this is amazing imagery that's something that uh i thought uh alan alexander did very well and something i actually loved reading i wasn't really a fan of reading about like actual conflicts until um well uh this story I, I came across this story um, when I was setting up a, a campaign for some folks in the Dark Ages, and uh, and I I had like stopped for a moment and said, you know what? What if I just had them encounter this Asamite uh, who's on this uh, journey to you know find her sire and just kind of have them tag along in the background as this whole thing goes through? What would that look like? Just walk them through the process of this, uh, just because it's so such a compelling story. I was like, eh. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, it, it never got around to the point where I was actually able to make a, a choice one way or the other. They didn't pursue that line of the story, right. but man, if I did, I just, I salivate thinking about it. Been inspiration enough to make you want to do a story about it, which I think is one of the best compliments uh, that you can give, especially because it's a short story. Yep. DJ Mike, anything? Um, it just, 
Not a whole lot that hasn't been said. It just drives home the point for me that I feel like the best use for this book in general is inspiration for um, campaigns, stories. The, the stories that I like the best from here made me either want to read more or continue because their main character pulled me in so much. That's all. Only to piggyback off of that, uh, the story regarding the protagonist also mirrors another story that I think we will talk about a little bit later on, but I, I like the way that the children Hakim are, are painted here, if only because it gives you a very straight, what would in the future be a loyalist view. Um, and that's what I took away from it the most. I would add that when you uh, when you look at this, it was something that I, I, I wanted to give you guys a chance to, to add that detail, uh, but to talk about uh, demons and how they're utilized. And, mm-hmm. and here directly with Corzin, and uh, or the Balian period, and I think he gives a clinic of how that should be done. A misconception I think a lot of fans have, and even some authors who've written about the material when it comes to demons, is that if someone has a cult, they naturally know how demons work and how that might be. Well, here we are. We have an entire clan dedicated to hunting down demons to kill them with Into Salubri. Even Samil is here, and they're all here getting it done, and they were not prepared for what they encountered. Because how could you be? And that's the that's the best thing for me uh, to see. I, I as Bob was like, that's unique with how they came about using it in the terms of the worship drum. Like we all know the story about it filling up with blood. We didn't know how they had yep. that detail there, you yep. know. Which uh, to to add from what Bruntron said, that imagery also wasn't gory. Like your imagination keyed in and filled in the gaps of what that must look like. But that's how you spot good writing. And that's uh, that's I could go on. But, second one. I'm going to throw up another one. And this is because this is my favorite author in the world of darkness. I have no problem saying that. Justin Achille has written my... Every book he writes, I have usually two of. And it's because he wastes no time smashing you in the mouth uh, getting involved in the story he has uh, has written. In uh, Acts of Cruelty, uh, of course, uh, Justinus Achilles here wrote this out. It's about a Zemisi... Uh, by the name of Gabija, uh, during the backdrop of a crusade versus the pagans, right? What do I mean by that? We're talking about when suddenly the crusade decided to go in and wipe out anything pagan in the Romanian Carpathian Mountains during that campaign, uh, piggybacking off of what, well, the Venture were the ones piggybacking off and coming through with an army to sort of conquest. They give you a night in the life of what went on during that in this story. And it was horrific, to read about, but in a casual sense that only the Zemisi clan can deliver. And before you think this is all about, you know, ah, great, it's more body horror, nonsense, and blah, 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 where some of that is in it, my man Justin knows a way to write that leaves it up to you to paint in a lot of the gore detail that it's just beyond peer. I went over this story three times today to try to find a flaw. That's me. If I like something so much, I usually could find a flaw in it. And, and I hear it couldn't. Again, much like the Ghost of Corazon, I was left wanting more. I want to see more of this because it's always a hot topic. You'll see it on threads, people asking questions online, sometimes even in conversation amongst your friends. What makes the Zemis Zemis beyond vicissitude? And, you know, what the hell's cold in? And this short story answers both questions. Just following this guy around. This guy, Gabija, is so feared where he's doing, um, well, honestly, nothing. And that's the beautiful part about this story. I'm going to just say that. In, in my, I'm going to be contested here, no doubt. You guys feel he may have done something. I ultimately feel that Gabija was just in the area. He's like a force of nature. 
you know, its story starts off where there's a there's a dying priest, like Catholic priest, who was in the wrong part of town, and tried to do his conversions or whatever, and he gets caught up by it by a group here, and um, I won't get into the history of it, only to say that when you read this short story, uh, another thing Justin's golden with, is doing his homework, and that's where the inspiration comes from. He actually gives you. Uh, answers a big question a lot of people have about you know Lithuania and the pagan areas and whatnot, and he gets into the exact people that were there that inspired the story. So it gives you the confidence because if you're like me and you're like I don't know about those people he mentioned, and you do a quick search and you read about them and you go back and look at the story, you will never do that again. He's instantly earned your trust. You know he knew how to use them, he knew of them. That's it. It's all you need, and then you can just sit back and enjoy the show. And so when you get to this priest point, where the I was horrified is the best way I could put it. And I know I know you do a good job when, you, when you've when you done that to me as a fan of horror films and, and, of course, anything writing. And the aspect that there's a beaten priest who's slowly dying, attached to a pole, and there are people up by a bonfire kind of sitting back watching it, and there was some great skirmish that happened, and this guy's the leftovers. And they're like, well, we can't get involved because there's this faction of people that were here, and some of their dead are down there. And then there's this faction over here, and the Lord is to come and collect his people. We can't touch them. We'll keep watch, but I don't know. And then to the mortals who are by the fire, they think they spot some thief. Walk up to take something from the priest. What could Bija takes? Well, one is the priest's life. I'm going to tell you that point blank. Yeah, sure, he was dying. But dying in a sense that the Zemisa would, uh, would he's going to die anyway. So why not me? And, we're, and I could have saved him, but why would I? <laughs> He's an affront. And he came here as an intruder. So that's there as well. He was already done. And then uh, what he takes from on top of it, because it doesn't ruin the story, I'm going to tell you that he ta he flinches him. Right? Takes his flesh and wears it like a cloak and walks away. Now, that alone should get everybody here to stop listening to this, get this book, and go read that story. Because I'm not going to go much farther than into it. Because every little detail and culture piece in this story um, does that. Oh, no, I mean, Nick's like, oh, great, now we're going to talk about it. You can. I've talked about it enough. To me, done. I said, Justin Achille wrote about Zemis, dude named <laughs> Kabija. That's all I need to say. Go get it. But if you have something to add, Nick, please, anybody else, I won't stop you. Uh, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to unpack in, in the story alone. And I, and I get it. it you, you're saying we, we want to leave surprises for the audience. They give them a, a morsel to enjoy at the end of uh, their gumdrop. Um, I get that, but there's parts in this, and and it happens from two factions, right? It's not just Kabija uh, running around in the mud hut, you know, doing Zemisi things. There's there's this entire other castle that's trying to hold down a domain with this asshole on the sidelines, fucking shit up with people because he's spooky as fuck, right? It. it Nobody doesn't notice what's happening. Like when he rips the skin off a dude in one fell swoop and wraps it around his shoulders and staunters off into the into the swamp. Nobody goes, what happened to the body? It's still there attached to the pole with no skin on it. <laughs> right? And all that's just one thing that happens. It's, it's a bunch of monstrosities. That, so <laughs> the prince is sitting here like, well, I don't know. Technically, that's not a violation of any of the traditions we follow. And uh, and this Nosferatu guy's like, yeah, it's a problem, though. People are outside with torches and pitchforks. Eh, well, I don't know. It's not any of the traditions. 
really got violated. Well, I don't know. Is it enough of a concern when the mortals are roused? Is, is, is I guess is the word. <laughs> and that's really the conundrum of what this story tackles. And I'd, I'd really like to go into details, but Bob's given me the evil eye, so I will not. It's, not. it's not the evil eye. I'm sitting here chopping at the bit going, the reason why I didn't want to get into that is because I could. some people get bored with politics, but Nick's here. We can get into his then. Uh, what I want to point out to the fact <laughs> is that when you're talking about the domain of the prince, you're ignoring the domain of the Carpathians themselves. And the fact that the people that live here, this is their domain. That guy is assuming the pitchforks were for Gabija. But if you read what he writes about the mortals... The mortal's perspective, they're not concerned with him. That's like old hat. That's He's like an old folktale. Like, no no shit, there's some evil out there. We Do you know where you're at? Did you did you pay respects to the god of fire that Gabija is? Did you obey the pagan right? Why? Then if you did, you're fine. He's not here for you. That's kind of the mindset, and you can get that inference. But if you're a prince who is trying to hold down a domain and make it yours, and probably welcome in this crusading influence which is where this priest came in and you want the money and the support in the lands that are not yours, so much not yours. What is a follower of Set doing up here? I I don't have a quite I don't have an answer for that. That threw me for a loop. I I liked it because it was unusual and unexpected, but I I couldn't reconcile that in my head. Reconcile it with this. Brilliant author. That's on <laughs> purpose. It's showing the fact that someone comes in the conquest it wasn't just venture. It's any clans coming in to claim a domain and get a chunk of the pie. And if it's unconquered, who but a follower of Set would try to come in and take a domain already built? Right? And okay. call it their own. So you're saying this was like Manifest Destiny for vampires back in the day. It's exactly what it was. But the problem is, okay. the Zemis are a force of nature. Gabisha is older than all of them. Yeah. And God they said what again? that. Right? What's that? He was God of what again? Fire? It's like fire. I, it's like yeah. between God of fire. <laughs> Right, and it's it's not even his name, and they even discussed that in there. Right, right? so it's, it's it's that's what he became. Right, it, it essentially it became a Zemis version of like the Baba Yaga of Lithuania on the side of the Baltic. And people still don't want to go into that swamp because Gabija. Right, you know? totally... not a chicken hut, different kind of hut. What are you doing? But here? you know, that's what it's to say. What are you doing here? Like we can't do this. This is horrible. Yeah, get out. You're right. You can't get out. That's you need to leave. That's what the wise of me is. You, you passed under the power lines with the tennis shoes hanging from them. You done messed up. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read My man, Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but we're going to start with you, Mike. We're going to key this up. Uh, what was your favorite story out of the anthology? Uh, well, so I can't see DJ. You know what? I'm going to do a different one. Um, we could talk about them both. Why don't we do that? Hit no, up that no. story and you and I'll tackle it. I'm going to start with... Mankata, because my soul, right? <laughs> and then you, we can we can like tag team on the on the other one. Got um, it. So this story was comparatively short, right? But everybody who is a fan of La Sombra has heard of Archbishop Mankata. Now, um, my man, what's the story called? Just, I don't even remember. Hold on. Um, so it's called. La- I, I got you. Said you. DJ's uh, got you. DJ. I think it's the last spark. It says the. It is the last spark, and it's written yeah. by Eddie Webb. Yeah. Um, th- so this this story broke me because it was real short and I wanted it to be much longer. But it it is the tale of Mankata and a rival from within his clan who are jousting, we'll say, right? Uh, and the story opens up with uh, this this other character named Elizabeth, who has 
somehow earned the privilege, right, of getting to confess her sins to the archbishop, who is... So, if they're jousting, I'm curious, I'm dying here, what okay. sort of horse is Mankata using? <laughs> He's using the horse of the Catholic Church. <laughs> He's oh, using a shadow horse. they're not actually jousting at turning. Oh, uh, because right. my man Mike, this is the Dark Ages in a Dark Ages <laughs> anthology. Jousting means one end, one end, dun, 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 dun. pointy and, stick. You know. Right? Yeah, got it. Okay. Um, How so is he going to stake him? So Mankata's—he's an archbishop in the Catholic Church, and he's got a rival in town who's a merchant. And this merchant is doing, we'll say, foul things to children, um, and is not being as subtle as he should be about it, and has had the stones to threaten Mankata's child, right? He's had the stones to request the privilege from the Lasombra hierarchy um, to reclaim her blood for reasons that are not explained. Now, is that accurate, now. Mike? You said the Lasombra hierarchy. Is that accurate? From a certain point of view. Hang on. DJ, is that accurate? I don't think so. I think it's not. It's the Amici Noctis. It's the Friends of the Night specifically. Now, gentlemen, if you listen to my podcast, you would have heard <laughs> me go over the Lysandra clan in depth. And what you would note is that Mankata is the king of manipulation. That's why everybody loves him. He's the king of it. Eddie Webb knows this because Eddie Webb's a dark-souled person. I'm saying yeah. that right here. I love it. It dances <laughs> in this story. And let's not forget how this happens. This guy starts out talking to a parishioner in a story with good reason. And will leave her alone other than to say... She has the ability, for Mankata's purposes, to get back at this guy. Now, what this guy did was he went to Yamichi Noctis, because he's a member of Yamichi Noctis, of which Mankata is not. Mm -hmm. Now, Mankata is absolutely in the hierarchy of the Sombra clan. You must know that. He is the scion in the Sombra clan for a specific path. And that's a million-dollar question, if any, I, any of you here can answer that. Power in the inner voice. Power in the inner voice. So, since you know that, he absolutely is the standard for the Lasombra. Who would dare go after him? It must be the Amici Noctis. Now, why? He says, the things I do for you, Lucida, and the things I do for myself. It means Eddie mm -hmm. Webb more than did his research. He knows this guy is straight thirsty for Lucida. And as he <laughs> forgot about it, he's going to do whatever it takes, right? And the importance of the Amici Noctis, remember, these friends of the night, which is what that is, they don't ever reveal who they are, except to themselves. And when they meet together, you petition them, or petition within, they judge whether or not you can commit diablery on the opponent you give them. That's the point of this entire story. Someone dared step up to say, Lucida of Aragorn should be next. And then you got your boy at the merchant. Now that's specific. We can't overlook that because fans, diehard Lysandre fans, myself, we're sitting here going, hmm, did you just downgrade Mankata to being like slightly upset about some stupid site? Nah, this is more important than that. More important than that, please. Uh, but let's, let's, since, since I did that, and that's my fault, um, DJ, what did you think of this story? I thought this story was amazing in that it shows you how to power play within. Every clan has a way of, of playing their own games, and this is the Lissambo way of doing it. It's a matter of ruthlessness, ambition, and conviction all put behind it. And it's the matter of what to use in terms of... It, it's using the right tool for the job, and um, Mankata in this case uses the right tool for the job to get exactly what he needs. And that's what I took away from it. But that was, uh, that was as much impactful as I had from it. Go ahead, Mike. Well, it's just... 
So you you always hear Lasombra fans and storytellers and players who think they want to play a Lasombra talking about the ruthlessness and the pragmatism and the manipulation and blah blah blah. It's been very very rare to me, and I, I granted I haven't read the clan novels, but it's been rare for you to see such a master stroke um, explained in, in detail in text. Um, at the same time, in a way that's not predictable, because you're reading this story and it's like you, you didn't drawn into the relationship between Mankata and this confessor, and you don't realize until it's happening the the move he's about to pull, both against his rival and then to conclude the tale, right? Um, so you're so seeing just, the pragmatism's outlined, right? But it's 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 thoroughly outlined. It's clear. It's not just the word pragmatism or the word ruthlessness, you get to see an example of a master at work that is not entirely clear until the story's over. Which Does that make sense? You remember oh, no, how it ends, course. Bob? Oh, of course I remember how it ends, but the listeners might not, and that's who I'm flagging away, right? We're like, nay, nay, I, I'm going to warn you, they've been talking this up as a master stroke. I'll tell you right now, it's a gambit. It is definitely yeah. a gambit, and it plays out in the end. There's some yeah, things. There's some things that kind of make the floor tiles shift a little bit as to whether or not there's such a thing as sure footing going on. Sorry. Right, yeah. So first, first we'll go this far. <laughs> they talk about the church. They bring that in. He does many stereotypes of the clan. The church yep. usage in the Dark Ages is here. Mankata's here, so Lasamber's involved. The Amici yep. Nakti said he what brings that in. The culture yep. of Lasamber is all in the story. Not yep. only that, he also brings in how they utilize the church to their own ends. Yep. Right. Those are all here. This is another thing that they dance on that's been a hot button for everybody. The least used villain in almost any Dark Ages game I've ever seen has been True Faith. Because people aren't comfortable with it. They don't feel that there's a fair line, right? If a, if a player's a vampire and they're the big Mick evil, and they show up, and then you have the vegan priest with the power of God and keto, you, you know, that's, that's it. It's like going, well, they win, right? Clean life, kill everybody. That's what it's like. And, and storytellers hate to do that because then players go, oh, no, we're going to be killed. Except if you read the story, he does something beautiful. Faith can be stoked. You can inspire faith. You can wane faith. You can play yeah. with it. And that's yeah. exactly why it is a master stroke and not a gambit. You must understand it. Mm -hmm. I'll let you read to get your own opinion. Nick says it's a gambit. Mike says it's a masterstroke. I know it's a masterstroke uh, because from afar, because you know it's Mankata, right? If you <laughs> doubt, it's Mankata. If you doubt Scion, <laughs> you, you don't. You don't test the power to voice Scion. It's just he's gonna do what he's gonna do. Anyway, um, that's uh, <laughs> we're, we're clowning. I don't want to clown. It's a good story. Uh, moving on, DJ, you said there was another one. You two were kind of trading ends on who's gonna do what. Oh, yeah. This one, uh, both Mike and I enjoyed. This was The Hidden Stars, written by Jacob Glunder. And this is a story of Nasir al-Khalal, who happens to be <laughs> he happens to be a follower set. And um, it's him touching base upon Tunis because he is in a quest to get a book literally called The Book of the Hidden Stars. Um, and the story pretty much is about him touching base uh, on the land of Tunis, meeting up with a, a witch of an echidna, who also happens to be a follower set by the name of Layla. Um, which is really nice as a throwback because it actually ties into, you know... A... Now I'm going to ask you because I'm curious. Witches of Echidna, what the hell is that? It, Witches from the story. Is... Does the story explain? They don't. They don't explain it and they leave it hanging there. And mm. if you own the, the VA, the, <laughs> the Dark Ages um, 20th, 
you'll be able to read into that. And I think it was just enough of an Easter egg to get someone interested to read it. And if you do it, then it's a love letter to, to be able to touch upon it. Um, but what makes the story interesting is the fact that Nasir goes on this trek um, to do everything that I think a masterful follower set does. Trade favors, move forward. How do you start building influence, especially as someone walking into a city brand spanking new? Like right out the gates, brand spanking new. This, this is what I thought was really good to take away from this. I'm not going to go too much outside of saying that there is a quest that goes along the way. There's um, a lot of trading back and forth. But one of the bigger wins for this is if you were playing a neonate, whether playing in the Dark Ages or in the modern, this is like the manual of how to walk in, make friends, and do whatever is necessary to achieve your goal. And I think I'll start off with that, and I'll pass it over to Mike. I'm, I'm tagging you in, sir. What were your takeaways from this? Well, no, I'll just pick up where you left off, man. Nasir, Nasir is how you play a follower of set that is not a sewer alley, gutter-skulking, drug-dealing clown <laughs> of corruption. My man. Right? Because you, so you get this idea, and maybe it's just me, I don't know, but in, in a lot of what I've read, too much of what I've read about the followers of Set is that they want everybody to just be drawn into orgies and have the best dope until you sully yourself like Requiem for a Dream and the, the lights go out <laughs> as you fade into the darkness of your sorrow, right? But this dude has got a much more focused purpose. And, and through the story, um, in spite of having to do some things that I would consider shady, even for a follower of, of set, he, he's on task, he's regimented, he's not wasting his time toying with um, things that don't matter for what he came to the Tunis for. And yes, he, he puts on a clinic about how you might find some handholds for yourself when you're in a new location and, and you have something you need to get accomplished. And so I just... This is this is in my top three for for the K night uh, conspiracies. I love, love this story. There's only Black one Lewis. real takeaway from this, I think. That's never trust a setite or a Nas yeah. or, or anyone really. Or any K night. Really, just don't no. Don't trust anybody, especially when you're doing your uh, your Indiana Jones thing. <laughs> what you got for me, Brennan? Yeah, so my uh, my pick out of this book is uh, Sand and Dust by Andrew Peregrine. Peregrine? If I messed up that last name, I apologize. I'm pretty sure it's because he's southern. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we're, yeah, moving on, moving on. This is a a, a story of a. Uh, it, it starts out with a coming home story of a uh, of a knight returning to uh, Valencia, uh, not only a few years after the the reconquista of this city, uh, and that that's an important part of the the backdrop to this because he is summoned to the court uh, of the prince to to solve a problem now there are a couple of twists in this uh, in this entrance uh, where he meets the prince and I'm not going to talk about them here because I didn't expect uh, one of them and I, I loved its its reveal so I'm gonna leave that for all you listeners to read for yourself but uh, the problem the prince is having is that with this um, with this new uh, domain that he now has, there are uh, Muslims that are still in the city, primarily of the low clans that are challenging his rule, and he needs someone to stomp out this problem. Uh, now, as I said, this knight was someone that was in uh, Valencia before, and he was here when it had fallen, and he became a knight 
because of that to, to seek retribution because he felt he lost his family. So this is a very, um, I mentioned before he's coming home, but I felt like one of the themes of this, of this story was that you can never really come back home. It's now a completely different place. And he's now trying to, to reconcile that while carrying out this duty. <clears throat> um, it <laughs> Honestly, one of the reasons I love this story so much is because it reminded me a lot of like some Clint Eastwood westerns, right? Uh, mm -hmm. a, a cowboy with no name comes into a city to solve a problem. Like I got a big, uh, what was the one, High Plains Drifter vibe from it. And I loved every page of this. Um, but uh, from that, uh, of course, he does have his big fight, uh, and there are there are several big reveals in there or reveals. Um, but other than but, that, that's it's, it's all good about the story. That's all there. Mm -hmm. What about you? Your opinion? Uh, I I love this story. I would buy this book uh, <clears throat> for this story alone. And there are three others that I feel are must reads for for vampire fans in this book alone. Just say it. Just say it. This story is the reason why Nas Knights are badass. Yeah. It, this it's is an, true. Mm, yeah. That's like no one, no one, no one believed that, that it. Was no one understood though. it. I, I, was, I was saying it before. I was saying, hey, we got some Nas Knights. They're going to be badass. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Read this story. <laughs> Isn't this guy the Rodrigo of the Knights of Rodrigo, or am I tripping? Uh, don't you think? Didn't it seem like he is? No, At just the end me? of okay. the story, I don't believe so. Okay. You don't think so? No, not not okay. the way it ended. Unless my recollection of the Knights of Rodrigo was wrong, I believe they were a huge force in the Reconquista. Folks, I'm running a clinic on how people can read the same story and come back with a different perspective. That's do you see what I'm talking like about? The beauty of an author is that they do not write so specific that you cannot discuss their work. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Like, I could describe the ruins of Corazon right now from this short story. Brent Johnson come back with something different. Uh, mm -hmm. Nick's, everybody's going to have something different about what that is. But just like that story, it, it, for you, it might be V. Rodrigo. However, Brent Tron is no. He's not certain. How about you guys listening, read, and let us know? Figure that out how you feel it might be. You know? I think that's beautiful that it's that way. That conflict makes it much, much interesting. Other than me backing up Nick's point, Nosferatu Knights are badass. That's, uh, I mean, that's un I'll never contest that. They got no, nothing but God. Have you night. seen how they look? It's, uh, right. <laughs> oh, and, just put on that and, pot helmet and you got the mountain 2.0. <laughs> I peeped something at the end of the story that was just, it was so practical and so simple. Dude's riding off on his horse and then he just, he just flips his shades. He just flips his shades while he's riding off into the sunset. And it's like, wait a minute, does he. Does he ride his horse during the day? Because his horse knows where it's going. What? Because How good is your plate armor? How good is your plate armor? It better be amazing. Like, he just clink. Like, he sit. He flips. He covers his eyes. That's it. That's the only part of him that's exposed in his armor. He's got this mobile haven that he doesn't have to worry about because of his potent so he can move like what? I tell you what, if I got prison shanked by three dudes in a sewer, Wearing plate armor, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm not gonna rely that it's gonna keep the sunlight out. <laughs> That's he does have a point. I don't yeah. split hairs on that end. He can he he lived. He can leave the story as he chooses. Right? That's his call. He alive. That's how that goes. <laughs> I'm a man, Nick. All right. So the uh, the story I'm gonna go over is called Young Gifted Venture. Uh, 
it's very <clears throat> it's a very interesting story because uh, this one I think too uh, details a gambit. Uh, there's a it starts out with a a, a known venture named Octavius goes into uh, who wrote it? Uh, I got Maurice you. Broadus, yep. which I didn't recognize. It's, it's not um, that you have to recognize it, but give the man his credit. I will give him his credit. Well earned. Um, so uh, Octavius comes into Rome, right? And uh, and the prince of Rome at the time is and Andronikos, uh, which sounds very Greek to me. Uh, but uh, he comes in with a new child. His old child recently got got. And, uh, and Andronicus is like, are you here to introduce your child to me? And he is like, nah, he ain't ready. Not, it's not what I'm here for. And he's like, well, then uh, clearly you've come, you know, because you know you violated one of our traditions. Because you didn't ask me about this dude walking by your side. And he is the main character of our story. His name is Marara. Um, he's an Ethiopian. He what, is what's, what's that name again? Marara. I was just making sure we got that right. You said that a little too fun. A little too fun you had with that. Ra, ra, ra. Ma, ra, ra. Yo. Um, so he comes in and uh, and he watches his, uh, well, he watches his sire pay with his life. And uh, and at the very end, there's a there's a single message he says, you know, to his to his child. He says, you are my revenge. And, uh, and the story goes on to break down how that revenge comes into play on what I would say are some very dangerous moves played by this Ventru. And uh, and why he was willing to sacrifice his life to start with, it doesn't quite tell you out the gate. But he definitely fully believes that this the, this newly embraced neonate he's got at his side is, is capable of carrying out uh, the legacy of his line from that point forward. And uh, and from what we're able to see, uh, quite well. Um, as the the child is exiled and then comes back in a traumatic turn, um, which I'm not going to ruin for you guys, but it's pretty badass. There are indeed some things to note here too. The uh, most important part is that you actually get to see the venture in action and, and how they operate. Like I think a lot of people have that in the back of their head. I know venture; they just lord over things, they meet and they discuss things or power, right? Because they get into the Jerosha here, you know, the good the good meetup of them venture elders and how they're going to trying to yep. do it but they also deal with the consequences of rome and that's another beautiful thing this is like a greek tragedy and i think maurice brodus did an amazing job putting that together that's how it reads like you could see this is uh right out of the iliad you know, this is a set here's a tale we could throw on the side to distract the audience during intermission and uh that's what i liked about it it's it's just as unpredictable it talks about the the legacy and honor that clan has you know yep. this is almost an eagle mentoya story you know Killed my father, prepared to die. Um, but it's, in other words, it's very romanticized, which is something that is hard to do. I think uh, more, re- in all the reading that I've seen about Venture, one of the hardest things is to make them someone who would sell their their wealth, the power they've had, risk it all in a gambit, which is exactly right, Nick. I feel the story is a gambit, but to get this the is a gambit. sweet, sweet revenge uh, that is due. And that's, uh, that, that's everything here, and you capture that in that story one. And so with that, guys, I want to tell you that we can talk about every single story and get that all in. Fact is, you can't. It's, it's one of those things where we want you to have something to read and enjoy. And it'd be different if we were all on a, all online, all doing the same thing together. And there's like 10,000 of us talking back and forth about it. But 
best we could do is a one-sided podcast. We could throw in uh, your opinions and thoughts and get back at us uh, off our website, 25yearsbtm.com. And, um, or Discord, you can contact us there too. Of course, this is all at the end as well. But this is one of the things about an anthology. We want to do books more, but they're only of value when you tell us what your thoughts are. Yep. And that's Agreed. and that's how it works. You're getting us, so we're putting, they're doing the first step, putting us out there, but hit us back. Let us know what you think, and we'll do more. Um, but any final thoughts, guys? I, I do have a last question for you, Bob. When you were reading through this book, um, was there anything that uh, that maybe you heard, uh, like a noise wafting out over the uh, over the gardens, maybe uh, the sound of a musical instrument at all playing throughout this book somewhere? <laughs> uh, are you talking about Sugar Shorts, Tanith Bale, Sahar? I am. As a matter of fact, he does guest star in one of these stories. For those of you that just haven't gotten enough of him, <laughs> he is feared by the the people in this book as the foresight comes back. So we know that he didn't drown in no ship on his way back to Phoenicia. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's everywhere you want to be. Um, I can't believe I almost sidestepped that. Thank you, Nick. I wouldn't dare let that go past. Or do we call Fan you no, <laughs> It's golden. It's golden. Um, but with that, anything else, guys? I do. So, um, what I will say is, especially for anthologies, players usually buy a core book, and what ends up happening is like you read the book, and there's a lot of stories that just kind of introduce you to the chapter of what you're going to be getting into. But anthologies, I, I specifically think for, and especially for this one, give you an idea of how to play characters, how to live that life. But if you were to take a slice of that life and actually make it practical for yourself, they give you story seeds, they give you character seeds, they give you ways to be and, and kind of give you the culture just enough so that you're able to start off and do certain things. And I think this, you know, reading it, as a player, um, this gives you just enough to be able to do that. Play as a venture who's on the outs. Play as a, a setite who has to to make moves happen. You know, play as a Mitsu who doesn't have to be a lord but comes from a different background. So it gives you just enough to to spark your imagination to know that it's all fair game and how you can make it happen. So I, that's what I took away from anthologies in general, especially this one. Yep, they take the beating heart of clans in the Dark Ages setting and they breathe life into them like God up in his hot tub. Shining the beam down, breathes or, life into these uh, these these clans, or like the Bruja Elder who can travel in the most fashionable way possible in a chest <laughs> carried by some weird guy. You know, however you want to do it, however you want to do it, it's possible. I never thought about that. The five point retainer carry the chest guy. It's a good one. It's a good right, one. Where the lid is so heavy that you have to have potence to open it, but two guys can carry it. It's all right. I thought it was it was unique. It, to me, it, it it provided that humor element. I think to get it across, especially because the story you know is about Carthage, and you know, yep. it's not a bad one. It's something to read in, but that's also where you. No, that's a, that's another good story. That uh, well, just read it, folks. Mm-hmm. Right, we're uh, you're you're dragging me back. I was pulling this out in ahead of schedule. Dang it! All right, El Pacino. So. <laughs> what? Just I'm trying I to get out, out but they keep pulling in. me back in. Yeah, so many on. choices. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tolerating us. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM at our email info at 25yearsvtm.com on Facebook at www25
www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.